You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. I'm your host, John Scardina, owner of Doberman Emergency Management and former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters. Disaster Tough is our mantra. It combines experience, training, and analytics in order to be successful at any stage within the disaster life cycle. It means being a professional in emergency and disaster services. Doberman Emergency Management lives by this. If your organization needs to fill a gap, please contact us. We can help. Contact info is in the show notes. We also support other products and organizations that will increase your ability. For example, if you fight wildfires, hurricanes, a pandemic, any disaster in the field, at a hospital or command center, listen up. You're missing out if you do not use L3 Harris for your radio comms. They are secure, portable, mobile, and scalable, which is great news for us in the field. A truly disaster-tough radio system. Check out the XL family of radios by clicking on the show notes or simply go to L3Harris.com. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's incredibly easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on COVID Plus Test, check out our show notes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this week's episode. Man, you've heard me talking about drones so many times on the show because of my background with the use of drones and doing it with preliminary damage assessments. There's this scene, this is random scene. Let me cue this up. Um... We might put this in post-production from, I think it's Guardians of the Galaxy 2, where the father goes, I'm finally not alone. That's how I feel today, because I am meeting with the man, the myth, the legend, Fritz, who's from Skydio. He's a Skydio drone expert there for search and rescue, for public safety, all this kind of stuff, because he has a background in it. He really is a pioneer in using the use of drones for tactical level response. So all of you guys out there who are in you know, first responder capabilities or doing tactical response, uh, damage assessments, you ni- name it. This guy is an expert. He can talk to it. Fritz, welcome to the show. Wow. Thanks, John. That's quite an intro. Very <laughs> glad to be here. Yeah. You know what? Uh, like I said, it's, it's pretty exciting for me because you know, when you're talking about pioneering drones in agencies or in emergency services, a lot of people don't understand like what it takes to get that done, and um, the one the perception behind it, and then once you implement it, that that change that happens, and to see all the positive changes. And so maybe we can just kind of start there. Of how did you get into the use of drones? I, I understand that you were doing SWAT with the uh, with drones. How did you find that capability? And then what were some of the outcomes from using drones on your side? Yeah, so I guess I kind of became a hobbyist and got a Phantom 4 and started flying around and that, you know, the ability to get the thing to return to home every time I really started <laughs> to see how, how valued, how valuable that would be um, for just public safety use cases in general. Um, being a guy, I spent five years on SWAT, um, 
you know, obviously some entry time and as well as some sniper time. And, and really when I saw drones, I was, wasn't on SWAT at the time, but I thought, wow, this is great that to be able to send in, uh, you know, we were doing a ground-based robots and other solutions where you want to see what's going on in there before you send people, but having a, a drone that could not get caught on the steps and just fly right in and clear the whole house uh, without mm -hmm. putting people in harm's way was like pretty intuitive, uh, a no brainer. You know, obviously I wasn't the first to think of that, but that's really where I, my mind first started going with drones and I would get little FPV drones, uh, buy them for like a hundred bucks and fly them all around the investigations and blowing paper off desks and getting everybody excited about it. Wouldn't this be awesome if we had these at Chula Vista, um, which where I worked Chula Vista police department. Um, and a buddy of mine, uh, Vern Salee, uh, who's now at Axon after he retired, uh, working with Axon Air, he started the drone program and I kind of was looking from the sidelines. And then when I promoted the captain and got the opportunity to take over the team, we were swapping around collateral duties. Um, he was like, yeah, sure. Great. We really hadn't got into the uh, operational aspect of Chula Vista um, yet. And so when I came on, that was my first role is just, let's get these things up. Let's get them in the air. Let's show, start showing the value to the operators because, you know, until you see it, uh, you know, you don't really realize the value that they get. And then once mm -hmm. you have it, you just don't want to do anything without them. It's kind of like, for me, it was like, um, uh, yeah, I, first of all, blowing paper off the table. I remember that when we got the drone, I was in a joint field office in hurricane Harvey and i was so excited to use it i put the drone in the room and um took off no experience whatsoever and immediately blew blew all the paper off everybody's desk <laughs> and uh, flew it right into um some blue lines like the uh the um ethernet cables that, that were hanging down from oh. the ceiling i was like uh oh so we we there was a learning curve but that learning curve was what five minutes i mean it's it's amazing what drone capabilities can do now and from my end same thing kind of happened we knew we would we had a one use case that we wanted to use it for and mm -hmm. as soon as you do it you're like oh there's there's a hundred other use cases that you can put put this for a, a big one is saving resources and time another one is just not putting people in harm's way right i mean you're talking and the and the ceiling to you know con compared to a robotic or compared to you know a full you know a helicopter with manned helicopter you know the, a small uas drone is uh you know a game changer you could just put it right like you said put it right in the house and uh you know start seeing capabilities and so like the way i want to go through the discussion today i liked okay. what uh skydio had on uh your website now this isn't a big ad I'm not a I'm not a uh, an official sponsor. I just like what you guys have, and so I have to say that for my audience. But there was there was four capabilities for uh, this drone that I liked a lot, and the reason why I'm excited to endorse it is because you know it's an American-made drone assembled here, the whole deal, and for U.S. agencies, that's that's the hot topic right now, and and it seems like an amazing drone. And so the the four topics I thought we could kind of just run down today. One was situational sure. awareness, two, search and rescue, which you, you highlighted, three, hostile scene and de-escalation, and four, a crime and accident uh, use cases. And so just like backing up situational awareness, um, can you talk about, for? remember, we have a lot of emergency managers on here, first responders, humanitarians, military personnel. 
who've never used a drum before. They see it as a hobbyist thing. And so my job today is to have an expert on here to say, hey, this is why you need this. This will help out our field a lot. So from the, the perspective of situational awareness, talk to us about what you have found uh, drones can do. Yeah, I mean, you hit on the four, probably the biggest, most common use cases for public safety, emergency management. Um, you know, and a little bit about my history, I was on the uh, uh, type three incident management, all hazards incident management team at Chula Vista. It was a regional source. I was the ops section chief. And, mm. you know, you do a lot of decision making at a remote location and you're delegating a lot of activity out with units in the field and having a situational awareness of what's going on out there, whether it's at EOC or an incident, you know, command post or whatever is huge. And so, you know, on major incidents, you get downlinks from helicopters. And once you have that, you're like, I want that on every incident, big and small. <laughs> and that's what drones let you have is that eyes yeah. on the situation so that the decision makers aren't making the decision based on radio chatter or third hand information. They get the context of video. Uh, we all know. And that's kind of you know, that led me into the ideas related to drone as first responder and then specific to Skydio. That's the goal is to get that capability out into the field broadly and on to the most what we think is a routine incident that you wouldn't be using a manned aircraft for that quickly turn and turn deadly and we all know how the, those situations can happen and so to have a drone that um you know is you know the foundation of autonomy easy to fly get it in the air it's it, you know it's it's hard to crash it's you know as you said american made nda compliance so grant money can buy it and get these things out into the hands of people that don't necessarily have a hundred uh you know flight hours on the sticks right that you feel confident flying in obstacle rich environments and flying below the tree line looking into windows and doing all these things that these drones can do and to have a drone to help you do that with the autonomy that comes with Skydio platform, I think is huge. I, it, like I mentioned, my first the first drone, just that R return to home feature and the hover in place. The first drone that Chula Vista got was a gift from uh, SDG&E, and you could literally kill yourself with that thing because it wouldn't <laughs> you'd have to have skill to make it hover in place. Yeah. Once that once that hover in place. Um, became it just it, it became a, a tool for the masses and that's what the next level of autonomy will do is doing um is making people who you know do are the professional cops and firefighters they're not professional drone pilots but they want to use it in their work and so you know that's that's the foundation is to make it a democratize this asset and make it something we can use more often on a daily basis early in the incident and get the advantage of these big the resources on the big stuff down to the to most um, time sensitive smaller incident so they don't grow into big ones yeah i mean uh i think we said it last week on our show uh or two weeks ago with pete gainer he was the um uh for those who know he was the interim head of dhs and he was head of uh fema just on here two weeks ago i said you know all all disasters are local right we've heard that before he mentioned that mm -hmm. and that's true and um all disasters hit hardest local because it takes a lot of resource in a catastrophic event to know what's going on in the field. Uh, talk about the hover in place uh, capability. Now, if somebody's listening to that, they're like, you know, what does that even mean for me? Well, we even played with the idea of uh, tethering, um, tethering like cell connections or radio connections to you know hard hit areas. Okay, put put five drones up with a with a tether on there, so we have 
you know, continual power and, and, you know, now you have connectivity over, uh, you know, mountain ranges. We've, we've talked about that. We've talked about all these different capabilities. We used drones for herd migrations when, um, volcanoes went out. And so that the, you know, putting in the right place to help the, the, the cattle go in a different direction from the volcanic, uh, eruption, that was a big deal, right? And just to have that situational awareness of of agriculture and how these things are, are interacting with the environment, let alone people, right? And then see like, okay, we have a potential for a mudslide here because it's been raining uh, heavily for the last four, five days. It's let up. Okay, do we want to send out resources, see if there's going to be a mudslide and they get hit by it on, on their way out there? No, let's put up a drone out there, right? And so it expands your sphere of influence you know, to a, a, a huge range, right? To be able to see that in real time, like you said, like as soon as you see it, like it, it clears up so many, um, so many issues. Uh, one, another one that I just thought of, uh, another use case was uh, going back to the preliminary damage assessments, wildfires. So most drones that are used on the federal level are like the Reaper drone, is uh, you know, high altitude uh you know um infrared right so we right. we have a good understanding of where the fire is but it's not really great for situational awareness at the ground level because that image can be completely whited out from from high altitude drones only small drones lower low level two to four hundred twelve hundred feet if you have an sgi coa can see fine detail and say oh, okay like with the wind and everything going the firefighters are actually behind the line of fire. And so, like, again, um, situational awareness there, right? And so uh, talk about a huge capability. Um, you, you talked about SWAT. Um, does SWAT, uh, remind me, does SWAT specifically, SWAT obviously deals with crowd control, right? Uh, with Within crowd control, drones have a capability there too, right? Of, of just not putting your guys in in the in harm's way of like you know just having that situational awareness for crowds yeah no swat it kind of depends on the agency uh, they've we've moved to uh, most agencies move to sort of a mobile fields force um mmff professional crowd control training which mm -hmm. is different than you might get from special weapons and tactics i'm sure there's a lot of overlap and you'll see resources both resources at, at major events depending on what's going on um but in terms of using drones for crowd control or for uh, just situational awareness during a large crowd events it's it's uh, you know in the old in the old days quote unquote you'd have to get to a position to be able to see the crowd right you can't mm -hmm. do that if you're standing on the ground at the same level so you had people getting up on rooftops and stuff and just being able to like see what's going on because if someone's getting hurt in the center of a crowd how are you going to see that if you're on the outside edge look at standing at ground level if there's threats to the crowd where maybe approaching cars and we we've seen what has happened with cars running into crowds um, so. Mm -hmm. I know there's concern from crowds are doing you know, lawful protests that drones are there to like, you know, spy on them or surveil them. But, but every public safety agency I talk to is there's a responsibility they have to protect that crowd. And you can't do it just by reacting to what's going on. You have to get to a position where you can see the crowd, you can see what's going on. You can see approaching threats. You can see, um, areas where uh you know the crowd is heading so you can uh, stop traffic and cordon off uh, any kind of incoming threats to them so 
you'd be irresponsible really not to have sort of an overwatch position on these crowds. Um, you owe it to the crowd to understand you're responsible for protecting them. So you got to understand what's happening and be able to, to, uh, you know, manage resources. It's a, it's kind of a team effort, much like it'd be hard for a coach to know what's going on without sort of game day film, the top down, look at his team as a, as a, uh, uh, handle the, the situation. And that's the same with crowd control. I like that. Let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room because I'm pretty passionate about this that I think, yeah, like it is it, like I said, passion. I think people are pretty stupid when they think about the privacy of drones and understanding people in public spaces because you have, I'm not even talking about a protest. Let's talk about a concert. Let's talk about any kind of open venue. You have 400,000 people taking live video of everything around them. You have 50 satellites up in the air. Just, you know, Google Earth, call it whatever you will, uh, seeing what's going on. It's public space anyways. You have uh, film crews there. You have news. You have everybody else. Any kind of public event. There is so much data being collected on people anyways that when somebody says like, oh, oh my gosh, the drones are spying on people. Actually, you're spying on yourself when you're taking your camera over everybody. So I don't get it. Uh, I don't, I, I guess there's real concerns there, but I think they're kind of just stupid, to be honest. But I don't know. So <laughs> I don't know. What yeah, is your yeah, take on that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I get that sentiment for sure. I do feel as, you know, ex-cop working for the government, we do have a responsibility to be transparent. Um, you know, mm -hmm. the data that the government gets isn't like the data that citizens or private sector gets, you know, Fair enough. there's the, you know, there, there's a fear that there's an incrementalness about things that we, you know, and, it, and it's, and that's, you know, reality. So we do need to be um, certainly respectful of those fears, even though I think, like you say, some of it's um, because of the unknown of what drones are. It's a new, fascinating technology. There's a lot of movies that show drones that sort of do, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, drones being used to, you know, equipped with weapons and being used to, like, prevent the hero from escaping, right? So uh, I definitely get that sentiment. Um, and I think when the public is exposed to what drones do and how they do it, uh, every time I see they're very supportive. As long as we in the law enforcement, public safety, emergency management, remain transparent, use it in the right way, um, de definitely share the successes so that if people say we don't want drones, they know at what cost that comes. Um, that is a huge win for the drone industry. And so um, I think transparency through and through is, you know, we have a responsibility to protect people's privacy, but we also have a responsibility to show how these things are being used to save lives. I, I appreciate that answer a lot because usually, like I said, I'm a, hot, a hardliner on it. I'm like, come on. <laughs> but I, I think you're right. As as government bodies, there there has to be transparency. There has to be data acquisition and PII protection, and all of that goes into play. And and for sure, and 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 as it should. However, in in a public space, it's already being collected, you know. And um, th that's my call. I, I love how you said like people always like it. I had this cool story where I think I shared it before on uh, the podcast. So it's kind of a uh, a repeat for some of the people listening, but the first time we were using drones to do preliminary damage assessments in a wildfire, mm -hmm. I was standing on one side of our vehicle with our spotter, and I could see in the drone an individual walking up behind 
kind of like sneaking, walking up behind the uh, the vehicle. And I was like, he knows I can see him, right? But while I was watching this, I said, hey, you know, Kyle, just let you know, some guy's walking up behind us. And he's like, okay. So I went over to talk to him. And the first thing is, is what are you guys doing? You know, and he thought we were a private sector. He thought we were just trying to take cool images or whatever. But as soon as we said, hey, we're trying to, we're trying to figure out how many homes are damaged as fast as we can to be able to help you out, the guy's attitude flipped immediately. And um, like, that's really what it comes down to. It comes down to survivors and helping out survivors as fast as humanly possible. And I'm not one of the guys who thinks drones are the only thing we should be doing, but it is a tool that allows us to move into that space to help out people faster. And so that is, that's the mindset, that's the culture, cultural shift I want to see happen in emergency management is like, how to help out survivors fastest, Re- responsibly, but fastest. Drones by far right now are that cutting edge technology that shows data I- impacting decision making. Um, no, that's a great story. I mean, that's instant transparency, right? It's not a tool to be used to control you or it's an asset used for your benefit, the community's benefit. And as long as they see it as their asset, then they embrace it and run with it. I love that. The the community asset, right? Drones are a community asset for life-saving, life-sustaining, and emergency response. Yeah, no question. So, uh, admittedly, I do not have a lot of search and rescue um, experience. My search and rescue experience is limited to a bunch of training. And in large-scale disasters, uh, as a GIS guy, I would point search and rescue operators in the right direction, saying, hey... This is going to flood. This levee's going to go. We think this dam is going to give, you know, wherever. And so I would point. So can you kind of share us your experiences and kind of understand, help us understand, like, how drones impact specifically search and rescue? You talked about clearing facilities. What else can it do for you? So, you know, and I'll admit, I got a ton of search and rescue experience as a cop over 27 years, right? Looking for lost mm-hmm. kids and uh, walkaway adults and Alzheimer's patients. Chula Vista mm-hmm. is a relatively urban environment, so I don't get a lot of the, 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 you know, the wide open field search and rescue stuff. I do talk to agencies, you know, daily who do this quite a bit, right? And a lot of... Um, um, rural areas across the country. It's a huge tool. The, the Obviously, a thermal is a great way to pick up heat signatures. So that's a, a needed aspect for any search and rescue tool. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the sooner you get something up in the, you know, when it's, a, you know, a walkaway adult or a missing child, the better, right? The less far they can get from the, the point of last scene. Um, and so, you know, just in general, it's, like, again, it's just hard to see anything from the ground level. And so, you know, typically if you don't have a manned helicopter with really a robust FLIR system available, and most agencies don't have those at a moment's notice, you know, your, your drone that's, you know, the drone that's in the trunk, you throw it up right away and, and do as much as you can in terms of the searching fields and eliminating areas that you don't need to hand search or, or walk through. Um, so you can concentrate on those most likely areas. Um, I know this, uh, the civil air patrol, which is a huge search and rescue, uh, you know, civilian arm of the air force. They've recently purchased, you know, scores of Skydios uh, X twos to be delivered that, that have a thermal um, precisely because they're a great drone for a very large team that you can't, you know, all these people can't spend hours and hours and hours being, you know, drone experts. So it's a great tool to have quickly throw it up. And then 
not only be able to see what's high above, but be able to navigate down below the canopy, right? There's a, there's two, you know, there's two types of drones in a search and rescue situation. There's you're, you're a high up overwatch drone that looks over a broad swath of areas. And then there's drones that can kind of go where humans can't go on foot. Mm-hmm. That's invisible from above, right? Uh, you know, along riverbanks that are tree line covered, you have your overwatch drone, you notice that there's no heat signatures in the center of the water body water or the river, but you don't know what's along the banks, right? And so you can wait for a team that might jump in a boat and sail down that river and look to the sides, or you get one person out with a drone fly low along the river looking along the banks clearing that in the first 10 or 15 minutes time's not on your side so you know having something that's in the trunk of pretty much every first responder or on the fire truck or whatever that can do both be comfortable in both environments that overwatch and and uh, close to the ground or in obstacle rich environments is your perfect layered approach to search and rescue as it relates to using drones and certainly having the sensors on there that's going to be able to see what you need to see right your thermal sensor that can heat see heat signatures and then your cameras that uh, you know high quality cameras that we can see where we need to see basically a drone is just putting a subject matter expert somewhere they can't otherwise be it's kind of an avatar for a, a decision <laughs> decision maker search and rescuer and mm. you, it's just you know the the use cases and the environments where they add value is unlimited that's awesome um, you, you said a word that uh, struck a chord with me in a very good way. When I go out and I do presentations, I often get requested to, to talk about my experiences in the field. And um, I remind the audience constantly that the number one problem we have in emergency services is time. Time changes everything. It's relentless, obviously. But you know, the more time it takes to do something, the more problems you're going to have. As soon as you get behind the ball, you're you're never going to get in front of it. I've seen it way too many times, and uh, you know, again, just uh, this is like a, like I said, a big ad for drones and trying to get people to to change their cultural mindset because, yeah, like hard to get to places, check. Uh, quickly going over an area, check. One thing that uh, drones can do that the naked eye can't do is point cloud. I was a big fan of doing point cloud. You know the shape. Uh, hey, we want to be able to find a, a body. Well, we found it of uh, the shape of an arm in the field, right? And we can we have millions of points, and we and it's now we're using artificial intelligence to to scan over that. And so, clearing banks, looking for the heat signature, you're now doing multiple levels that the naked eye just can't do, even if you're looking at that riverbed, right? Infrared can see so there's something over there human eye might not be able to see it right especially if it's buried right. on a on a surface level and that that's a big deal for um you know catastrophic level too of um you know uh buildings that are have been thrashed right so these down buildings and trying to get into places where we haven't shored up yet so you know huge use cases there um okay so another another one that admittedly i stay away from as much as possible in fact i did I don't get on this too much on the show, but I, I did way more man-made stuff in DC than I ever want to uh, talk about. However, um, the a hostile and de hostile scenes and de-escalation. Talk to us about drones and hostile scenes and de-escalation. Well, I'll touch a little bit on your time thing as well with the de-escalation because um, you know I, the the thing I'm probably most known for is uh, the 
drone as first responder use case at Chula Vista Police Department that we uh, done through the IPP, where essentially you've got drones nested on rooftops within the city. And as soon as a call comes in, um, they respond the drone to that location, cool. getting ahead of ground units. And that's something Chula Vista Police is still doing to this day. There are over 6,000 missions. They're they're doing, cool. you know, pretty much every day, all day, um, and literally hundreds of use cases where they're on the scene, whether it's a, a walkaway child or a robbery that just occurred or people fighting in the street or a car accident or anything you want to send emergency responders to, to get the drone there first before people are in harm's way and get someone who's an experienced incident manager on scene. And I think from your audience, they understand, you know, a lot of times the experienced ICs come in well into the incident after a lot of uh, the first responders are there doing as best they can in the first moments. And the idea of getting the incident commander as the first responder, some experienced decision maker who's not in harm's way, who basically essentially arrives as a, is, as a drone and basically an avatar for their, for their decision-making capability to see the situation and then guide units in is like the ultimate in terms of the shortcut in time. And that's kind of uh, what your example is, is, is just to have to get a jump start on time and see the future, whether that's the indoor case where you want to send a drone in before people, yes. it totally changes the paradigm. Um, and so I may, I may have gone on a little tangent there, but your time thing kind of made me think of, of think of that. That's cool. Yeah. And then the other aspect that you had mentioned was um, the de-escalation. Again, that's a lot of times officers, uh, emergency management uh, fire, they rush into a situation because, they can't sit and wait and plan, right? They don't They don't have enough information. People might be in harm's way while they're waiting. So they rush into the situation as necessary. Then they got to figure it out once they get there. So any opportunity to slow them down and say, look, we're on scene. I've got a drone. It's not in harm's way. I can see what's happening. If anything changes, I'll let you know. But you're perfectly, uh, you know, it's perfectly safe right now to stage, wait for less lethal, wait for a canine, wait for the right resources um, with a fire, uh, and then not rush in and then uh, not be forced to, to be in a situation where you're not prepared. And that is a very uh, effective tool to de-escalate, right? And getting a drone into a room where a person may be holed up once you send the drone in, either you find out he's in there and you don't have to go in, you know, right where they are, or you find out it's clear and essentially means you don't have to go in. So either way, it just kind of changes the whole dynamic. You're stacked up on this door about to go in. And then once you send in a drone, it just changes the whole dynamic because you now you know whether there's threat or not. Um, so um, it's kind of, it's just a paradigm shift really. And yeah. um, so in de-escalation, that's all about that is, bringing the right tools, the right decisions, the right problem solving methods to the situation so that you're not hitting every problem with the hammer, right? Not everything is a nail, but in historically, we're, you know, we just respond and then kind of make it up as we get on the scene, right? Do the best we can. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. That's all true. A hundred percent. So like, <laughs> I think of like, um, make it up on the scene, right? So, um, Real world application on my end, um, dealing with active assailant, active shooter events. Right. And, um, you know, statistically, as soon as first responders are in a facility, active shooters change their motive from, from uh, finding innocence to either killing themselves, you know, or ad addressing the first responders. It's like 99.9% .9 of the time. 
as soon as we get people in there, assets in there, uh, you know, those those things change. And I, I do wonder what the capability of having uh, a law enforcement drone specifically going into an area just for sensory overload to psychologically broken, ter- you know, terrorists or, or active shooters. Obviously, the sound of the drone, the, the location of the drone makes them shift, shift just enough to where, you know, people lives could be saved or the reminder to potential survivors, uh, you know, help is on the way, whatever. There could be lots of different use cases for helping not just the the survivor, but preventing the loss of life of a responder who is going in there and has to address a threat, a threat who is extreme, right? And uh, I, I think about that a lot because I had to deal with that a lot. And, you know, at Doberman, we teach an active shooter course and we, we go through... We're like a data-backed company. Like we're really focused on data, and so mm-hmm. we, when we do our active shooter course, we, it's like two hours of just use case after use case. We're just drilling it into people's head. Like it doesn't mean just run, hide, fight, right? It means freaking barricade, and wh- what the difference of barricade means versus you know this and and fighting. What fighting means? It means like stopping the threat, or the threat will hurt you, right? Right. Um, and and how fast those scenes are. You talked about time. We talked about time. Uh, most active shooters are 10 minutes or under. And so you trying to figure out where the person is, trying to figure out, you know, your other first responders are showing up on scene. Everybody's showing up on scene. And you got the drone in the back, pl- battery in, on, shove it into the building, figure, figure where this thing is out as fast as humanly possible for, you know, even for clearing rooms. Um, what is it? Diamond Formation's four-man team. And so you have diamond formation versus drone. Okay. Uh, four living people, drone. I don't know. It sounds like there's a lot of use cases there as well. Yeah. So I'll talk on, uh, broadly because you're hitting on some, a lot of points. And the work <laughs> you're doing there is is so critical. There's Thanks. There was a... Uh, so I'll talk over you and then I'll talk specific to Skydio because we have a tool, I think, that really could help in these kind of situations. And hopefully it never gets used for it, right? Because it yeah, never happens exactly. again, but we know, the, we know the answer there. And there's like a couple of really big paradigm shifts that where everything just kind of turned on its head, like 9-11, right? We used to hijack or everybody said, hey, if you get hijacked, just sit and cooperate, right? That totally changed in a heartbeat within, from the moment the first one, the 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 planes crash in the tower to flight 93, right? It's that's right. no longer what we do. We fight back, right? The big paradigm shift, as you well know, Columbine, where you can't just sit and set up a perimeter. The people in there aren't there to negotiate. They're there to slaughter. Like your Joe citizen in the neighborhood got it before the police officers did because we're trained a certain way and it was hard for us to change our paradigm. And once we understood that difference, then our chain, training changed. And, and we began to learn with that incident, the LA shootout, that we can't wait an hour for special weapons and tactics and these uh, really you know, effective tools that require a lot of training and a lot of expertise and money. We have to push these capabilities to the front line. We, they gotta be there in the first second. So now you have officers with, with AR solutions, right? So they have active guns, I mean, ac- accurate guns that can, that can fight off serious threats immediately we have active shooter training which you talked about where it's you know don't sit and wait go in that's what you're paid for um trained to reduce the risk but you're gonna have to take risks because there are innocent lives at stake 
And yeah. drones are part of that, right? The drone is first responder is a, that type of use case of getting the drones there first, whether it's to go indoors first or on scene first is going to add that value of sort of an intelligence and making those people that have to put their lives at risk do so with a little more knowledge and intelligence. And then uh, to have the tools there, right? That's a lot of what we talk about at Skydio is, you know, the drones that are back at the station are no good to you in those situations, right? It's got the drone in your trunk is better than the best drone back at the station. It's what you have good with point. you. So have the ones that people are comfortable with flying, they, you can train them, you're comfortable with giving them to them, and they're easy enough to fly where you can fly them in, in these type of difficult environments. The Skydio 2, um, it's the first drone out. It's not an expensive option. A lot of public safety have it. Um, and it's this type of situation where it really could add value because you can get it up in a minute or two you can just fly it in an obstacle rich environment with no skill whatsoever the first time someone's got their sticks on it they can fly this thing through a That's mall right. a business park a school and so you can imagine a stack of four or five people maybe the person in the last part of the stack just throws the drone up front and it's running point around these corners clearing the area because you don't have time you have people bleeding out you have victims that you have to to assess and you got large areas that you need to clear and secure and to be able to do that where a person's head isn't the first thing around the corner but a drone that's you know there mm. and that's going to take time right to get it up but you know these clearing these big business parks takes a while after an active shooter and you got to do it safely because you never know we took forever to clear the navy yard navy yard was uh, the navy yard shooting Who's a beast of burden and that after action and you had every federal and state agency dressed, not dressed, uniform, had the badge, yeah. not have the everybody was there. And so you have a, a, a ton of people. Here's a really sad statistic. Again, this is kind of the drones, it's kind of a tangent. Uh -huh. But uh, you know, the Parkland shooting officer, the the one who waited outside, people give him a lot of crap. People don't understand that 30 to 40% of the officers, single officers that show up on scene die in an active shooter. Not injured, not whatever, die because they have no backup. And when you're talking uh, over a third, that's a big deal. And it's it, and you want to use you want to come in with a lot of force. And what I mean by that is an overwhelmingly amount of uh, what I call sensory overload for uh, of the threat, so they don't know what's going on, which causes them to pause, which causes us to be able to end the situation. Again, a drone is the force multiplier. Even for a single officer who's uh, who's on scene, distraction, 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 sensory overload. Let me let me uh, take care of this. See the other the other one, which is a a huge tangent. Navy Yard shooting the officer who lost their life. Unfortunately, they heard the sound. They you could see them like, was that was that the sound of a gun? And they mm -hmm. holstered their weapon again. And when they holstered their weapon, the active shooter came around the corner and killed him. And wow. uh, like like I said, like it's that has really nothing to do with drones. But I'm super passionate about that because like we hope active shooter training is the most worthless training people will ever get. But if they do yep. get it. Um, it could save their lives. And now we're talking about it in a, a cool new way that I've never really thought about before, to be honest, is the use of technologies as a force multiplier for first responders. As a guy who deals with catastrophic disaster on a large scale, hurricanes, wildfires, that kind of stuff, uh, it's right. kind of, it's 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 amazing to have somebody who's an expert in tactics to be able to say like, 
all like I said, all disasters are local. All disasters fail at the tactics that they they fail at the tactics. So give you every resource you need to be successful. Um, we we kind of hit a lot on the crime and accident uh, the 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 side of the house, and so just like looking at that time. Is there anything else that you think that could help out somebody, uh, like I said, a first responder, emergency manager who's listening to this, who's now hopefully on board with the idea of drones? Um, what would you say to them for accident and uh, crime scene um, awareness for drones? Because that's another thing uh, about data that, data that you just can't get any other way. And it's not necessarily a time-sensitive one, but there's a safety component specifically to accident reconstruction, which wasn't something I did as a police officer at all. I would never work traffic, but certainly that's a lot. I talked to a lot of people doing that, certainly now with our 3D scan um, solution coming out from Skydio, where it's a data capture tool, where it you know flies around in a 3D environment, capturing uh, evidence, uh, photos and you know something you can upload into a photogrammetry tool and, and makes great evidence take measurements it's a, a solution for your court um you know and an investigative tool and to do this instead of shutting down a roadway for four hours you know with a team of five people and flares everywhere to be able to do it in 30 minutes uh you know and, and so you're not out in the roadway the drones out in the roadway collecting the that i mean that's that's a use case that's out there it's pretty obvious it's a unique tool uh, that skydio has but accident reconstruction in general is just a way to really you know good police work collect <laughs> evidence in a way that's useful that you understand what happened and record the incident in a way that's manageable um and the more you know it's go to go from a, a 2d sketch by hand to like a real-time 3d model yeah. uh, and have it be done by one person regardless uh, who you know is not an expert in, in anything other than just the workflow then i mean it's a, what an amazing tool uh okay so you share tactics side i'll share uh strategic side federal side yep. so uh it made me think of uh, debris pile estimations. Yep. So when they, when the debris pile collection sites, they bring these, the trucks, bring, it depends on the state. Each state is different. I'll say that. Mm -hmm. But what happens a lot of times is the trucks back in and they fill up and they back. And what happens is it creates a donut effect where as they're all backing in, there's actually a giant hole in the middle of this debris pile. You know, we're talking about 80 feet up by, you know, 125 feet wide. What the state sometimes does in a disaster is by contract, they will look at uh, their circumference and multiply it by the height and, and figure out their dome. And they will charge for that. Essentially, they're charging for a giant hole in the middle. Well, if you're trying to Whoa. do accident reconstruction. Yeah. So what I did with the drone is I went over to a couple of these giant donuts and I saved the federal government like six million dollars in 20 minutes by showing that they were paying for a giant hole in the middle and my counterparts it was just like wait what i was like weren't you calling it a toy the other day a six million dollar recovery of of just waste now i'm sure the construction company was pissed but at the same time it cuts <laughs> down on fraud waste and abuse and it is tax dollars right we are government agencies so like a, a big one there. And it goes back to that earlier uh, earlier point about cloud, the point cloud. And point people don't really understand what point cloud is. So basically what you're talking about is if I take a picture of my mic and, uh, you know, t 
traditionally there's a 2D image of my picture, right? What you're talking about, it's an amazing thing. And and I think Skydio paired up with uh it's Esri's product, the um cl- uh shoot. Drone deploy. That's Drone what it deploy, is. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so for those listeners, it's it's as if I can put my mouse on this mic and start spinning the mic. And I can sit at 360 degrees, up, down, left, right, and you're able to get a true picture. Another one on the on the the big scale stuff, like so obviously most of my experience is with floods and that kind of stuff. Let's say it was a hazmat incident. We do it with floods where the water actually went, right? By but we have to worry about hazmat. Unintentional or intentional, if it happened in a large city, where is all that material? Are you really going to send in first responders who could be impacted by that by accidentally touching something? And then, no, like you got to figure out what's going on in a large scale incident. And, uh, you know, whether you're outfitting the drone with infrared or uh, chemical detection capabilities, now you're getting a 3D image of like literally where every single particle is. And it's a huge game changer. So I'm glad we ended up talking about it. So six million bucks is is a lot to brag about. There's quite a bit of ROI there. So oh, I know. Tell me about it. And that was that was one mission. Uh, Another mission is a brag moment. Uh, The wildfires, Southern California wildfires. First time. This is why drones are now SOP and and all federal responses, and why Civil Air Patrol uh, was contracted by FEMA. I went out there. I was pilot in command. By the way, I hate that term. We got that's a term we need to change, and uh, that's a little bit much for drone pilot, whatever. But I was the pilot in command, and I had my spotter. We had three GIS people back at uh, at the JFO, and I went out there, and we found thirty three. Well, sorry, we found thirty one more homes than a thirty three person ground crew PDA team. We did it in a third amount of time. We did that at almost no cost. And we actually recovered eight homes that the Reaper drone thought had been destroyed because, again, that whiteout image. And uh, you're talking about two people versus 33 people in the field when they were out there for three or four days. We were out there for one day and we fed it back to the JFO in almost real time. They mm-hmm. were able to analyze the data and we were able to get the the state their federal declaration faster because we were able to prove the economic loss faster. And uh, we actually worked really well with the ground crews because they were able to get into areas. We were able to get into areas, but when they got blocked, they were like, Hey, can you just fly your drone over here? Yeah, sure. No problem. We'd be there in an hour, pack up, go over, open, flew over an entire neighborhood, found more homes. And then the other part of that was uh, wildfires. They, if you're on the East coast, you might not know this, Wildfires burn left to right, or sorry, top down, not left to right. So your home can look perfectly fine from the outside, but the entire inside is gutted because an ember burned right through the middle of your home. And so that's the the other reason why we were able to find so many homes. So just like it's a it's a wonderful tool. It doesn't replace PDA teams. Those ground truth information that you're getting is great, but it's I mean talk about cost saving. You multiply that hundreds of thousands of disasters that you know that we go through globally a year or the 300 active disasters that we're dealing with right now administrator chriswell you're gonna be on the show here soon we applaud you for stepping into fema now 300 disasters are currently under her belt so i mean it's just, it's just crazy stuff that uh 
that we're talking about here. So I can I can talk about drones forever, but yeah. No, that's 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 huge. That experience, you know, is invaluable. And once you guys are on scene, adding that kind of value to people who are decision makers and responsible for doing it quickly, efficiently, safely, they don't they don't do it any other way, right? And that's a lot of what. Yeah. Uh, what we're trying to do is just let people know this tool is out there. If you don't have it, ask for it, get it. Once you have it, it speaks for itself. It's kind of fun to talk about both sides of this house right now because uh, Skydio is obviously a for-profit drone company who has a really good product, by the way. Again, non-official, but just my own personal feelings on it. But it sounds like you're you're making all the right moves by saying, hey, let's address all these different issues, whether it's situational awareness, threat detection, de-escalation, crime and accident scenes, like in terms of a for-profit company, you're very socially conscious and you're trying to do something. Um, what I would, it's like a, it's a weird word now. Like I would say righteous. It's a righteous endeavor uh, to be able to, to impact this space. And so I applaud you, uh, Fritz, who, by the way, before we start recording everybody, I realized that Fritz is the prince of drones because he just has it's just one name it's not you know fritz o'brien or whatever it's just fritz so soon uh soon it's going to be a drone symbol it's going to be you know quadcopter is going to be a symbol so uh so you're not allowed to sit next to him in award ceremonies but uh fritz thank you so much for coming on the show thanks for talking to us about skydio's capabilities i've been wanting to do this for a long time i've been watching you guys from afar and i think you're doing really great things there and so uh just Thanks again for talking on the show and talking about tactics versus strategics in uh, uh, drone space. Thanks again. No, I've, John, appreciate being on here. I mean, your your list of who you've had on as the who's who to be included in that is a great honor. And it's really, uh, it's great to talk with you. The work you're doing is, is amazing. We're glad to be, you know, on the same path with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, maybe we can have you back on in the future again as uh, new new capabilities roll out and um, again, I applaud you and both Skydio on the, on the work you're doing. Um, for all those listeners who learned something today, you should have learned something today because we talked about a lot of really great things. We got to say, we say it every week. It's kind of monotonous, but we're going to say it. You got to give us that five-star rating and subscribe if you liked it. You got to send us a comment. Now, I say this, I bring this up every single week. Thank you so much for those emails to info at DobermanEMG.com. I always put it out there. But I really put it out there for if you want to work with Doberman Emergency Management. However, if you want to talk to Fritz, if you have questions about uh, using it, using drones, or you want to talk about Skydio, if you have a question, we'll do them a favor. We'll put Skydio's uh, link in our show notes so you can check it out there. But you can also put your question, put your comment out on social media so he can see it immediately. And so we can start addressing some of these ideas. Change your culture. Use drones. It's, a, it's an amazing tool, as you heard, for the last 50 minutes or so on our show. And we'll see you back next week.